Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Hey, uh, we have been going through a series called Surviving to Thriving. And we started out with a personal life. And if you missed any of this, you can listen online. But it's, uh, we started with a personal life. What does it really mean to be a friend of God? Uh, and the levels that we call Jesus Lord and Savior and friend. And how we can take our walk with Him deeper. Not just surviving and getting through, but also thriving in our relationship with Him. And then we talked about the single life for those of you who are singles uh, in the room or that were here last week, uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about the single life. Then we talked about the married life and what that looks like, not just to survive but to thrive. And today we're talking about the family life. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to do a little study through just this chapter today and pull out a few things. We're going to pull out what does it look like to be uh, a surviving as a family who is Christian, a Christian family, but not just that, but thriving as a Christian family. And so if you've got your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. We're just going to dig right in here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. If you're there, somebody say, Amen. Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. That says, as fitting in the Lord. Clarify there, okay? Husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not exasperate or agitate or anger your children so that they will not lose heart. Paul here is writing to the church in Colossae, and he is giving, a, just a, uh, after a little dissertation on the new life, is giving something to say, hey, your family should live and walk in the new life that God has given to you. Here's the problem. How many people have dysfunctional members in your immediate or extended family? And you're all looking at the neighbor maybe next to you, right? It's not somebody on the same row, hopefully. Yeah, we all have, we live in a world that's dysfunctional, so there's dysfunction uh, in us, in all of us, not just our family members, because if I, if I asked your family member today, they'd probably be pointing to you, and you'd be pointing to them, because of those family reunions that are all so much fun. Everybody thinks everybody's crazy. That's just the way it is, because we are. All of us are messed up, okay? I mean, you're welcome to sanctuary. We're the place for the broken. And so if you're perfect, you probably want to go down the street, because you won't fit in here, because we all know we need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. All right, so the problem is this. How do we walk and live in the newness that God has for us as a Christian family? Well, whoever that may be. Uh, and so I look at this and I say, uh, well, there's a problem here. We live in a dysfunctional world, and the chaos of life often takes priority. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, or how Christian you are, how many years you've been saved. When chaos comes, it's easy to give that chaos priority. And often, if you're, if you're like me, it seems like there's something major happening every week in your life. Is that not true? Does that not feel the way this uh, world is today? It's so fast-paced. It feels like, well, when one thing happens, then soon after, there's another one. I have not yet felt like every day's vacation day living through life. Anybody? Because I want to talk about you. You're going to come up here and talk to me. Uh, so, a dysfunctional world. Chaos is taking priority. Today, there's an increasing number also of uh, non-nuclear families. 
Uh, if you go back into the 50s, maybe there was that perfect family that sat down to dinner every night and the husband loved everybody like Jesus and the wife was submissive and she made the best apple pie every day and the yard always stayed three inches tall and little Betty Sue did her homework and little Johnny was a good little boy that just played out there marbles outside in the street. We don't, I don't know about you, but that's probably not family as you grew up, maybe it was, or as family in your neighborhood right now. There's a lot of things happening in this modern world. For instance, today there are two parent homes, but today we've got people who've been divorced and remarried much more than we used to. There's single moms and single dads. There's some with shared custody, some with sole custody. And today there's an increasing number of grandparents that are raising kids. Or maybe you're here today and you're raising someone else's kids. It's not your uh, kids or your grandkids. You might have a neighbor's kids or cousins or relatives' kids. And so there's, a, there's this thing, it's like, okay, how do I thrive and survive in a family like mine? And no matter your family, chances are a number, of us, a number of us, even ourselves, have experienced a variety of dysfunction in our life growing up. Let me ask you some questions here. What are some maybe negative family issues you had as a child, or maybe even are experiencing now? For instance, uh, maybe you grew up in a home with a constant threat of divorce. Your mom and dad were always at it. Maybe you grew up in a home where somebody walked out on you or where family time was non-existent or if it wasn't non-existent, maybe it was the opposite. Maybe it was explosive and you didn't have family time or you really hated family time. Maybe you had drugs or alcohol or abuse as a part of your home life. You would be surprised a number of people who have had that in the church today. Maybe you didn't see love reciprocated in your home. Maybe you never saw proper boundaries of relationships or Christ-like discipline. Did people run away from conflict in your family? Or maybe they did the opposite. Maybe they verbally or physically abused one another. Uh, Or maybe you grew up with holding in all kinds of secrets about what your family really was like that nobody else knew. Let's just be honest today and take off the masks. Because today, there's a lot of things we've all lived through. And God has called you not just to survive, but to thrive in His Spirit. And so maybe it was hiding those secrets, or maybe you lived with a a bunch of broken promises from your mom, your dad, or, or people in your family that never lived up to the expectations they always said they would do. And uh, I can guarantee you, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, every single hand would go up in this place because you've experienced something like that. Very few of us have not. And so today I look and I counsel people and I've been in ministry almost 10 years now and there is just such dysfunction in the world that has come into the church. And it's not a bad thing. Hear me out. It's not a bad thing because that means we're reaching broken people. We want to reach broken people but not just stay there but begin to move in a healthy, Christian, vibrant relationship. So how do we take people? How is it possible that if you grew up with an alcoholic, abusive father or mother or an absent person or these relationships and you come to Jesus, how now do you live as the family of God? How do you live as a Christian family? That's what we're looking at today. So uh, it's true that children in dysfunctional families often become dysfunctional themselves. And many of us would agree with this statement that I don't want my children or grandchildren to repeat my mistakes. But here's the cool thing. There's hope for every single person in this room, every family that is a Christian, that believes in Jesus Christ. There is hope for your family. Because I want to give you some examples. Think of all the dysfunctional families in Scripture. You ready? Think about Noah. His sons dealt with his father's drunkenness. I think about Joseph. 
His brother sold him into slavery. Anybody have happened before? Okay, good. You haven't gone that far yet. Samson's parents, they had a word from God that their son was going to be awesome. Then their son goes out to all the wild, drunken, uh, sex-craved parties, and then Mary uh, goes and gets off with, uh, uh, hangs out with the enemy lady, uh, and it ruins his life and his calling. So, how do you think they felt? If you maybe have wayward children, they're Samson's parents. Think about them. Uh, you think about uh, David had a horrible marriage with Michal, then he committed adultery with Bathsheba, then his son later dethroned him. That's not ever happened to y'all before, has it? Okay, nobody ever been dethroned in here today, right? You guys going to wake up today? It's good. I know it's thundering and raining outside. Okay, uh, and let's not even talk about Lot's family because I don't even want to go there, all right? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. We want to make a declaration today over our families, not just a declaration, but a determination to live out this verse. Joshua 24, verse 15. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How many say amen? Amen. I am going to raise, I determine and make a declaration in myself, me and my wife and my two daughters and their children and their children's children. I am praying for a legacy of faith that even in those that I come in contact with, it may not even be my biological children. We all have got spiritual children, spiritual relationships with other people, that we are going to serve the Lord. I'm not quitting. Anybody? Amen. Okay, let's talk about surviving. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Because in the chaos of life, when you're handling the diverse situations and diverse uh, uh, family units... Uh, maybe your kids are out of the house. Maybe your kids are in the house. I don't know what age your kids are. Maybe you're a grandparent today. But when chaos comes, you can focus more on surviving than thriving. It's so easy to focus on just getting through today. If you're struggling with divorce, maybe you're a single parent today. Maybe you are juggling two working uh, parents like me and my wife. We both work juggling kids. Life gets crazy. It's busy. You get home at six o'clock at night, both of you, and you forgot nobody set out anything to thaw. And so what are you going to make? Thank God for pressure cookers. That's what we have. That's how we get through life, pressure cooking. All right. Uh, But how do you get through and not just think day by day, where am I going in my life? How is my family serving the Lord? Where will we be in just a few years as a family? Will my, my relationship with God be deeper? Will my spouse's relationship with God be deeper? And will my children and grandchildren have a deeper relationship with God, whether they live with you or not? Because this all applies. So Paul, before he begins to talk about this family, let's rewind, look at verse 1. How does it work that you can live in a surviving and thriving Christian family? Colossians 3, verse 1, verse 10 and 16. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking. Look at your neighbor and say, keep seeking. Okay, there's some action words in here. Keep seeking the things above. Where? Above. That's where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. So he says, keep seeking. Then he says, set your mind. There's another action word. Set your mind on the things above, not on the earth. For you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. Verse 10. And put on. There's another action Put on the new self, which is created in a new true knowledge according to the image of Jesus, God, who's created him. And then verse 16, let, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We don't have time to really expound on those action words, but those are very important. Take it home, study that. Why did Paul write those words the way he did? He says, keep seeking, set your mind, put on and let God do something in you. My question for us today on surviving is, how do we let, he says, the riches of God, the riches of Christ 
fill our family? How do we let the riches of Christ fill our family? It's this, number one, on surviving. It begins in you. I don't care, mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, it begins in you. It begins in you because it first starts at this new birth experience where we set our minds on God and we allow God who has birthed in us the Holy Spirit, a new living creation, a new man that He's put in us. We say, God, I choose to partner with what you've already done, what you've already created, not some holy work thing I've done, not some Christian life I've decided how to make or how to live, but something supernatural that you've done in me, I recognize it. And then I decide to now work with it and expound upon it and let you begin to build it and grow it to take over me. And so it begins in us. If you've been born again, you should know it. If you've been born again, you could recognize it. You feel something in here. There's something alive living in you that was not like you used to be. You see things differently. You feel things differently. You're moved by worship. You're moved by the Word. You're drawn to prayer. You love God more than you did yesterday because there's something living in you. If that's not you today, then we're going to have an opportunity to pray with you. But if that is you, then it says that's where it begins. Before you can be a surviving Christian family, you must begin to put on this newness that God has made. And let me give you this. Let me give you five things of surviving, five things of thriving. To survive as a family, it's simply this. Be a Christian. The end. That's really how simple this is. Be a Christian. The principles that we often apply to a believer... To say, I want you to do this, I want you to do that as a believer. This is what I'm supposed to be. This is who I'm supposed to look like. It's the same principles for a family. How do we be a Christian family? Be a Christian person. Be a Christian believer. Be a true believer. And what does that look like? I'm going to give you first one. Number one is live honestly. This is on five things to survive as a Christian family. Number one, live honestly. How are you modeling honestly to your family, honesty to your family? So I'm setting my mind on on my life and my will given to Jesus, and I'm going to apply these principles of this new life to my family. So number one, I want my family to live honestly. I want to model honesty to my family. You know what that means? Take off the masks in my family. Whether you're a family of two or one or three or ten, take off the masks. That means admit my faults. Be open about my weaknesses to my family. Not hiding my mistakes. My family should know I'm not perfect. But I'm striving to be like Jesus. That's important. If they see in us just a model of Christianity that mom and dad are perfect at church, then they go home and they bite each other's heads off, that's not living honestly. That's where we see the dysfunction in the 80s where so many young teens left the church because they saw this hypocrisy. How many people, if you know what I'm talking about, grew up in the 80s where you saw people that were like, oh, they've got the perfect hairdo and the, and the buns up, but on home life, it's like this. It's just, ah, I don't see that. And so we're taking off the mass. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to have faults, but it's not okay to not strive to be like Jesus. Amen? I'm taking off the mass. Uh, to live honestly, that means I change the way we talk at home. Colossians 3, verse 8, look what he says. In, uh, you just keep, keep with me in Colossians 3. Verse 8, it says, Put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. That's not just for you in the workplace or you personally, but as a family. We talk the worst to our family members more than we do anybody else. We'll be so nice to that lady at the checkout counter uh, just last week or the other day at Walmart. 
a sweet old lady just kept messing up my Walmart line. I was there for like 10 minutes, and she rang up my Lipton tea 22 times. I'm not joking. 22 times she couldn't figure it out. And, you know, the flesh would want to get up and get mad. But Pastor Heath knows there's probably somebody in this checkout line that knows who I am and where I work. So I got to be cool right now. And it's going ding, 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 Lipton, 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 back and forth. And I'm thinking, Lord, help me. I just, you know, trying to go home right now. But I know somebody down the road knows that's Pastor Heath over there. And they're watching the lady going ding, 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 Lipton, 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 Lipton. And so, but if I go home, who am I at home? Do I yell at my kids? Do I yell at my wife? Am I easily quicker tempered with my wife than I am brother or sister or so-and-so? Because I can have some patience with people that I know I've got to put the Christian hat and mouth, you know, the, the face on. I've got to put the Christian mask on when I talk to people in the world, but we bring it home. Mm. Change the way we talk at home. That means no abusive or negative speech at home. That means, you know what, no gossip at home. Gossip is still gossip when it's at home. Do you know that? Gossip is still gossip when it's between you and your spouse. Do you know that? I just let you know. Clear in, the, clear in the room. That means not necessarily hiding that I argue with my spouse for my kids, but being upfront about it. But it's arguing in a Christ-like manner with respect to one another. It's okay to argue. Honor, honor though, as you do it. Respect as you do it. Put away anger and wrath and malice, abusive speech. Don't lie. It says put aside. That means that's a choice. God's not just going to come into your house and say, hey, audible voice, stop doing this. It means you have a choice to be like Jesus in every argument in your home. Live honestly. Speak truth. Speak life over your family. Discuss the why and the what. Why, kids or family, don't we do this? Why do we go to church every week? Why don't we watch these types of movies? Not just we don't do it, here's the law, follow it. But why don't we do this? Let me tell you the positive reasons why we as a family make a choice not to participate in these events. Why we uh, young ladies don't wear these types of clothing. And I'm not saying set a law, I'm saying explain the what and the why you and your family choose to live honestly, to reflect truth of Jesus Christ. So that's number one, live honestly if you want to survive as a family. Number two, live in grace and love. You want to survive as a Christian family, number two, live in grace and love. That's two and three right there. How are you modeling grace and love to your family? To me, that means teaching and demonstrating the grace of God. When Ephesians, Paul says, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of our doing, it's a gift of God, not because of my works. That means I've got to teach my family, my, my spouse, my children, my grandchildren, my neighbor's children, that you can't get to heaven by works. We're not trying to do this. We're not being a good family because we think we're earning our way into God's good graces. It's a free gift. And we want our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our family to know that we don't think you earn your way to heaven, that I'm not, I'm not doing good things to you out of works, but we say, uh, I can't save myself. I can't do more to be saved, nor can we. And we remember to teach our children that Jesus didn't condemn the woman at the well, but he gave her better water. That's the key. Why don't we do what we do? It's because Jesus gave us something better. I don't go back to the, the things of the, my life before. I don't, you know, if we talk about our kids or our grandkids and say, Honey, I, I, don't, I don't not drink or I don't not watch those movies because there's a law. It's because Jesus gave me something better that satisfies my soul so much more. 
It's the grace of God that changes me, that fills me, that satisfies me. When I understand what He's done for me, I don't want to do those things anymore. So now I live by grace in worship to Him, that my whole life would be in adoration of Him, not in legalistic rules. Not in, we don't go to church because we have to, we go to church because we want to. We read our Bibles, family, because not because we have to, and this is the rules of the home and you better get with it, but because there's been something happen in us. And I want my kids to see that there's some yearning, there's this longing, there's this excitement about God. Not this rule of a God who's going to beat us over the head or, or who's expecting this because judgment's coming. Well, that is, uh, judgment is coming. And he does want this, but I want to be a worshiper. And so we live in grace and love. That means, so we teach and demonstrate the grace of God. And that means also that we refuse to be a negative family. I refuse to be a negative family. I refuse to bring negativity home to my family. I re, uh, Galatians 3.14, it says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I want our families to be this place where no matter who comes in at your dinner table, you just, there's a sense of love. There's a sense of positive speech. God convicted me early on in my teenage years when God got a hold of me uh, at a revival service and I went off to college. The biggest thing God got a hold of me of was my sarcasm and my negativity. That He took that out of my life that says, there's this, there's this weight that just brings to a room when you come and you're just negative and down and depressing. And that's what you speak over your children. That's what you speak at your dinner table. That when you're talking to your spouse at home, you're just talking about how bad things are at work or bad things are at your home or bad things are in the economy. Or you begin to talk about how this person in your family is this way or that way. Just this whole weight of spirituality of your family goes down. But if we just begin to say positive things about what God is and who He is and what He's doing and what He's going to do and how He's the rock of our family and He satisfies all our needs and He's more sufficient. And so we begin to take the negativity off, put on love. And we demonstrate love to our neighbors and friends and kids because God first loved us. It's unconditional love we demonstrate to our family that's patient and kind. It's not easily angered. Somebody say amen. It's not easily angered. We don't want to be easily angered in our families. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We, we forgive our families. We move on. And then we set clear boundaries of discipline and reward as well. Scripture says if we love our kids, we'll discipline them. And that's your grandkids too. My parents are here today. If you love your kids, you discipline them. We want our kids, our discipline, though, to reflect the Lord's. That means I communicate to my kids and grandkids. That means I give clear warnings, that I give responsibility to them, that I help them learn patiently. I will never shame them. I will never put labels on them. We never say, you're stupid, you're no good, you're not going to be anything. We never say words like that. We never put labels on our kids, but we firmly and purposely discipline them in the Lord. We do not spare the rod, but we do it in a way of love and compassion and purpose. We don't rage out and lash out at our children or our grandchildren. That's living in grace and love. Is this good? You with me? So we live with hope. Sorry, we live, sorry. We live with honesty. We live with grace and love. Number four, we live with forgiveness if you want to survive as a Christian home. Living forgiveness if you survive as a Christian home means this, Colossians 3.13 Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If you have a complaint, forgive because the Lord's forgiven you. So that means it, sometimes the hardest people to forgive are our family because they can hurt us the most. 
It's that brother, that sister, that mom, that dad, that ex, that in-law that's, that can really get down deep because those are the people you're supposed to trust. They're supposed to be with you, thick or thin, that's blood, right? But those are the people that often disappoint us the most. We have a higher expectation for them. And so what happens is we have to get to a determination ourselves as a Christian. If I want to be a Christian family, I've got to have forgiveness as a foundation of this family. Meaning, I refuse to blame others. No, there's no place for blame in our Christian homes. It means I can't blame myself either. So that means letting go that ex, what that ex did to you. That means letting go what your parents did or did not do or for you or to you. It means I make a decision in my life, in this family, to move on, to live with an unoffended heart. And I say, God, I forgive them, and that's on them. They, they're going to have to work that out with you. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live in forgiveness. We're going to live positive. I'm not letting that negativity affect my family. I'm not going to let that, that worry, that stress, that sin of that person be determination for my life and my thoughts because I've got the new spirit living in me, a new person, a new man, living and setting my mind on the things of God. Amen? And so uh, I confess my hatred. Uh, I confess my unforgiveness to God. All those things we confess to God. We want to demonstrate also to our kids that we forgive other people. We do need to do that. We need to tell our kids who we're forgiving. Let them see that we're forgiving other people. And that we need to make amends when possible. That's forgiveness. Lastly on surviving is this, living in hope. How are you modeling hope to your family? Because here's what happens. You and your family go through chaos and crisis, or maybe it's your family or extended family. You go through chaos or crisis, one of the things that happens is negative thinking and negative behavior patterns begin to focus on our mind. You think, you know, it's not worth my time to deal with people like that anymore. I'm done. Uh, We begin to think things like, I'm a total failure. This is what your children sometimes think too. Kids, moms or dads, you've been through divorce. Studies tell us that kids often internalize that to be their fault. You've got to help them get break this pattern. It means that they often and we often think I'm a total failure, my whole life is miserable, or I can't ever trust anybody again. I'm never going to trust a man, never going to trust a woman, never going to do that. We begin to get in these negative patterns because life chaos has really impacted us. Trauma has come in our life. We grew up that way. We had that bad event happen in our life. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 challenges us to live, live our life through the living hope of Jesus Christ who's been raised from the dead and has an imperishable reward for us in heaven. It means setting my mind, putting on that new self on the things above, not on the things below. There are a lot of things to lose hope over, to be disappointed over, to be negative over on this world. That's why Scripture says, stop focusing on this world. Set your mind on the things above, where there's renewal, where there's glory, where there's honor, where there's praise. There's something to be thankful for. There's something to look forward to in life. There's someone you can trust. There's someone who's never going to fail you nor leave you. And yeah, maybe there's things in this world that happened to you or didn't happen to you that should have. Forgive, move on, give it to God, set your mind on Jesus, and live in hope. Put away all that negativity of our lives and our families. And say, I reject those oppressive and depressive thoughts. Amen. I reject them. I'm not, I'm not mulling over it. And some, the devil's going to come back and say, you know, you are no good. You don't have any hope. There is no dream in your life. There's nothing you can do better than what you're doing now. You might as well just give up. Nobody cares that you did that. Nobody cares that you tried. Nobody, nobody's noticing. You say, God, I reject that in the name of Jesus. I'm setting my mind on you, and I'm moving forward, and there's going to be hope in my mind and hope in this family. Amen? Amen? Every loss, every disappointment now seen through the goodness of God. 
So here it is. How are you going to survive as a Christian family? Be Christian. Apply the basic principles. Apply the basic principles of the Christian life to your home. And make a determination and a declaration today. But see, here's the thing. Some things, there's the surviving level. And sometimes the things that God has for you to survive are not the same things to thrive. So you've got this first level. This is what I want to do for my home. So we're making a declaration today over your families. God, this is what we want to do. Now we're moving to survive. I'll give you five very, very quick things. Now, these are things Beth and I, I'm praying over my family, okay? Because I want to take my family to the next level. I want to say, God, I don't want to just get through this life. I want to thrive in it. I want to make sure that we, uh, as a family, do something else. I want my family, here it is, to be the family of God. It's okay to go to church and be saved and, and, and live a Christian life, but I want more for that for my family. The Bible talks about not just being saved and hearers of the Word, but being doers, beers of the Word. And so a true Christian family is a family that lives on purpose. And that's the first one. If you put on this new self to survive, I want to put on a new family to thrive, okay? That's the, the transition for today. I want to put on a new self to survive, but I put on a new family to thrive, meaning my family becomes part of the family of God. I want my family to be a part of the family of God, and that looks like this for me. It's just, these are five things I wrote down that I'm praying over my family this year in 2017, okay? I'm going to share them with you. Is that all right? Okay, the first one is I want my family to live purposefully. This is my goal. This is my goal. So what I'm challenging you to do today is this is what I want you to take home. I want you to think about values that you want for your children and your grandchildren that you're going to put at the forefront of your family and say, God, okay, we're, we're Christians. We go to church. We believe in God. But I want to take our family to the next level. And these are things I'm going to get made and put on our wall or our refrigerator. And I want to remember these things to, to keep them at the forefront. When the chaos of life starts coming, I say, no, this is what we're doing as a family. Okay, you're right. Living purposefully. What does that mean? It means whatever we do, Colossians 3.17 says, we're supposed to do it in the name of Jesus and for His glory. And so I want to make decisions on purpose in my family. I don't care if it's the car that we buy, whether we sign up our daughters for ballet or dance or whatever, or whether we decide to take this vacation or that vacation. Whatever we do, we want to do it on purpose for the glory of God. There's a lot of things that can take up your time in this world. There's a lot of things that can distract you and add to the chaos of life. But have you entered into that thing on purpose? Meaning this, we ask ourselves, does God want us to do this? I'm only on this earth for a very short, finite amount of time. God has a primary mission for me and my family. I don't want to be a part of anything He doesn't want us to be a part of. Right? If I really believe that there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is a mission, there is a God, there is a devil, I don't want to be a part of anything that God does not want me to be a part of. And I don't want to do anything God doesn't want me to do. So my family is choosing to live purposefully. That means we may not do some things in this parish that other families do. There may be some things that we do that other people don't do because I'm living purposefully. My life is on purpose. I'm managing our family's time well for the purpose of God. That means uh, we're going to have family rituals. That means we're going to make family traditions. I encourage you all to have family days, to have family game nights in the chaos of this world. Make sure you have a night each week to hang out with your family. 
whether it be immediate family, extended family, make that a priority, whether it be daddy-daughter dates or son uh, and dad times, man times, take a vacation every year, whatever it is, have a family ritual. And then have a routine. That means throughout your week, if chaos begins to take off of your life, you need a routine that's going to keep you back on track. I always pray every day at this time. On Tuesdays, as a family, we always mow the yard. Or on Wednesdays, you need a routine in the, in the chaos of life because the devil is sure to get you off balance. Before you know it, you wake up. We've been arguing. We've been fighting. We haven't prayed. We haven't played together. We haven't done anything that we're supposed to be doing. We've missed church for three weeks because now we're trying to catch up. Get a routine in your life. You need it. Amen? All right. And that consistency also is going to create that security in children. If you are a single parent, single mom or dad, you need consistency. Children need consistency. They need to know it's Tuesday. This is what happens on Tuesday. This is what happens on Wednesday. They need that to get through that life. Okay? So I live on purpose. Number two, live generously. Verse 12 of Colossians 3 says, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I want my family to know that we don't have money just because, but money is not our priority. Money is for the purposes of God in our home. We don't always get the nicest toys, the nicest things, because we set aside a certain percentage of our family's income to give to the Lord, and then another percentage to give to missions, which is to the Lord. One percent to the local church, and a certain percent uh, to the Lord. So there are things that we sacrifice we're not going to do. I want them to see us serving with our time, talent, and treasure. And I also want to give our family an opportunity to give back themselves, whether it be maybe you decide at Christmas your kids are going to give one toy away, uh, to somebody else, or maybe you as a family are going to say, we're not going to do a big Christmas this year, we're going to all jump in together, we're going to do some missions project as a family. Whatever it is that your family sees value in giving generously, whether it be you as a family going and serving at some place like the Mission House here in Gina that serves people every, every day, Monday through Thursday, or, uh, and every, every third Thursday in the, uh, of the month, they give out all these food boxes. You say, that's something I want my family to see, where, where other people are living, what, the, what things are like, or the Lad Center, which is for uh, the mentally handicapped, uh, you, you say, we're going to do something to show our family, remind ourselves, it's not about us. It's about winning the lost and serving others. And so, live purpose, live generously, live prayerfully. Number three, pray as a family every day. How's your family prayer time? I'm not talking about meals or when other people are watching. I'm talking about as a family, are you praying? Do you have family devotionals, maybe every day or once a week, where you grow in the Word together? And are we teaching our children to listen to the Spirit? We should have conversations with our kids and grandkids and ask them and say, what is God speaking to you lately? You know God can talk to you. God can speak to you. I don't want you just to find out religion. I just want you to see mom or dad at, at church, going to church. I want you to know that there's a personal relationship with you that God longs to have, and that I want you to begin to hear God's voice, even as a young child, that you begin to understand God talks to you. Adults, what's God speaking to you lately? Because here's the catch. Don't ask your kids what God's saying if you can't tell them what God's saying to you. Right? If I would go on a survey in our churches today and ask you, what's God been speaking to you lately? How many people would have me a blank stare? Like, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't even ask you what the pastor preached last week. Most of us can't answer that one, right? Uh, but it's like, what has God been burning on your heart lately? Can you tell that? Live purposely, live generously, live prayerfully, live joyfully. Be happy. You know, it's okay. Life is hard, but you can still be happy. That means you should play often and hard with your family. You should find joy in your family. 
You should build deeper connections purposefully with your family. That means you should praise them, your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandkids. You should speak over them the things of God. God has something for you. Man, you're a blessing to me. I love you. I'm so glad that God gave me you. You should begin to speak those things over your family, your extended family, and say, there's something in you that God, uh, that, that God loves you, you know, and that, that love is uh, from Him. Create memories, not just pictures on your phone, right? Take some time. Enjoy life with your family in a godly way. And lastly, live missionally. Live purpose. Live with purpose. Live generously. Live prayerfully. Live joyfully. I want my family to live missionally. So I don't just want to be just a Christian family. I don't want to just be another pastor uh, in the Bible Belt. I don't want to just get through life. And I don't want to, for sure, me as a pastor, raise kids who don't follow the Lord. How embarrassing would that be, right? How many times do we see that? Or even a Christian home. Maybe you've, you raised your, your kids in a Christian home. Maybe they went away from God. You know that at the end of the day, that comes to their choice. But do you know Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6? I'm wrapping up with this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 says that you and your family, this is what God wanted for Israel, that says that when you're at home, if you want to grow in righteousness, when you're at home, when you're going down the road, when you go to bed, and when you get up, you're supposed to be talking to your children about the Word and the things of God. That means as I'm going about my day, I don't have to just have a Bible time or go to church with my family. But when me and Ari are going down the road and she's only three years old, we are talking about Jesus. We're listening to veggie tales. When we are at home, Jesus comes up. When we go to bed at night, Jesus go, comes up. When we go to school, I pray over her as I give her to the, uh, the, learning, the preschool that she's a part of, that we just are all about Jesus. And that it says, if you want to live a righteous life, you want your family to be righteous, that God has to be your all in all. He's not something you put a hat on or punch in a time clock for. But when we get up, it's all about Jesus. When we eat lunch, when we go to school, it's all about Jesus. When I go to work, it's all about Jesus. When I pick you up from school, when we meet together as a family, it's all about Jesus. What we do as a family is all for Him and for His glory. Amen? And so... What is, what's the result of this? Scripture tells us that when families get to this level of living purposefully, generously, prayerfully, joyfully, we begin to live missionally. We begin to live missionally. It means that we as a family begin to do the will of God as a whole unit. Not just me, not just my spouse, but as a whole unit. That means I want to talk to my family about why it matters that we give our time, money, and resources for the lost. That this is why we use our time. This is why we do this. I want to enlist not only myself in the mission of God, but also my children and my grandchildren. I want them to be a part of the kids' church leadership team and the youth leadership team. I want them to be a part of the praise team in our church. I want them to go on outreaches and be in service with our church and all of our small group service projects that we do every month. I want our kids to participate in that. I want them to see that. I want them to see me and my wife reaching people as we go out to eat and someone speaks, you know, we give a, a word to somebody as we're out and eating or we're going our, about our business in Walmart that we're showing the love of Jesus. Jesus and that we're always on the clock with him, that we're always about the mission of God. I want to live missionally. I want to let the word of Christ dwell in my family richly. Colossians 3.16.
Where do we go from here? No matter where you are, maybe today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. No matter where you are, you're surviving, or are you thriving, or maybe you're just living one day at a time. We've all lived with chaos. We've all lived with life events, negative life issues. And I believe there's hope for you and your family today, no matter where you are. You say, God, I want to take it to the next level. And that be whether you have young kids or kids out of the house or you've got grandkids you're raising. Whether you're a single mom or a two-parent family. Uh, whether you're just trying to struggle by Maybe you've got kids you're raising that aren't even yours. We've all got issues. We've all got dysfunctions in our families and even in ourselves. We say, God, we are putting on a new nature today. We're making a termination and a declaration. As for me and my house, we, uh, me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord and as to survive, that means we put on this new nature that we're going to live with hope and we're going to live with forgiveness and we're going to live with grace and love and we're going to live honestly and take off the mask in our family, but not just stay there. We're going to create a sense of values and you don't have to use my five values. You say, I'm going to sit down with my spouse or my family the next couple of weeks or days. We're going to begin to write out what matters to you as a family. What really matters that you and your family would reach these goals for God. And it could be something similar. Use that as a template. We say, we are going to make this important for us. This is how we're going to gauge what we do and don't do. This is how we're going to gauge if we're loving one another like Jesus did and how we're fulfilling what God has called us as a family to do. Because each one of you have unique callings and unique giftings that God has called you and your family to accomplish. And it's on you to say, God, I want to achieve those things. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have kids or whether you don't, what is God calling your family, your unit, your home to do? Let's pray today. I'm going to ask the worship team just to play softly.